and Deacon talking week four in ordinary time. Let the spirit come down. Let the spirit come down. Let the spirit come down on me to change my life around. Let the spirit come down. Hello and welcome to this podcast for the fourth Sunday in ordinary time. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the first reading is from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The second reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the great outline of love and uh, be ambitious for the greater gifts. And the gospel reading is from Luke. It carries on directly from last week with Jesus still in the synagogue speaking and gives the reaction to his fellow countrymen. And he also speaks about Elijah and Elisha. We're going to begin uh, slightly differently with a father, Dan Crosby. A little Solana story telling us something about the real Solanus. I, I have to admit that I was uh, naturally very immature at the time, and uh, it took me years to really understand the real significance of Solanus. And what I've discovered, and it, it, it all is summed up in, in the word real. Solanus was real. He really believed that God was real, that God was here, that God really loved us, and that God really loved everybody else. He really believed that, not just in his head, but in his guts, his feet, in his hands, his face. He really believed that. And that's the call that I see as so important and so challenging in Solanus. Don't just tell stories. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. But they can make Solanus out of your orbit as he was out of mine. Imitate what really made him holy. He was real. He really loved Jesus and he knew that Jesus really loved him and everybody else. I want to try to be as real as Solanos. Dance in your spirit, we dance in your spirit, we dance in your spirit. Of joy, dance in your spirit. We dance in your spirit. We dance in your spirit of joy. Jesus, you've shown us the way to live, and your spirit sets us free. Sing free to dance and 
in your spirit We dance in your spirit of joy Dance in your spirit We dance in your spirit We dance in your spirit of joy Jesus, you open your arms for us begin this week at the point in the synagogue after Jesus has announced his goals, values and beliefs using Isaiah as a kind of campaign message. The synagogue was a highly significant venue as it roots Jesus within the traditions of Judaism. It is the focal point of the community of Nazareth and a symbol of their faithfulness to God and the Torah. The people of Nazareth are significant because they represent all the people of Israel who reject Jesus. Luke is also concerned for historical detail and he pinpoints a particular place and time that can be physically related to the man Jesus who grew up among others in the village as the son of Mary and Joseph. You can imagine walking up the dusty road and knocking on the door of the house where they lived. The Sabbath day, long ago in Nazareth, when Jesus used his inaugural address to urge his fellow citizens to make the most of the new today, in which the good news would provide liberty, new sight and the Lord's year of favour. He said, this text is being fulfilled even while you are listening. It's difficult to understand the rejection that followed in his hometown unless the title Messiah or Christ is examined a little. The word Messiah is Hebrew, the word Christ is Greek. They both mean the same, the anointed one. We 
tend to use the word Christ to mean that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is our Saviour, who through his death and resurrection has opened the door to eternal life. But that wasn't the case to the Jewish people and the people of Nazareth. Their expectations of a Messiah was something else. The people in Nazareth had the same ideas about what the Messiah should be as did the Pharisees and the Zealots in Jerusalem. Their expectation was for a warrior, a political powerful Messiah like David who would overthrow the Romans and establish a great kingdom that would be a powerful new Jewish state. When Jesus read in the synagogue with such authority and claimed that the text was being fulfilled, it was to show that he had a different meaning from the term Messiah. There is urgency in his message, of course, but Jesus spoke of a progress that begins now, at this moment, today, and it means today, today, as well as 2,000 years ago. Was this too much? In ancient cultures like Judea, time was seen as a cycle of seasons, a repetition of what went before. For Jesus, the past was seen as a preparation for something new. He didn't want a repetition of the past. This understanding of time can also be seen as the modern view, where progress is expected, building on past events. Jesus in the synagogue was speaking as a Jew to a people steeped in the Old Testament. They all had knowledge of the expectations given through Moses, David, Abraham and Noah. They knew what was expected from the Torah. Yet Jesus was rejected. Jesus, instead of saying, like all the others, that something will happen in the future, he says the time is now. Everything that has been longed for in great anticipation was now true. The Old Testament covenants and laws had all been going on for centuries, but there was a sense that even the temple rituals were not getting the people any closer to God. Jesus says that in him it is all fulfilled. Remember, Luke knows the whole story. He has experienced the same Jesus die and rise in glory as the one who speaks in Nazareth. And he wants Theophilus, friend of God, to grasp now in chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed Jesus. In the rest of the Gospel, he'll show him how Jesus is the new covenant, that he does have authority over the law, that his body, body was the true temple. The manifesto of Jesus given in the synagogue at Nazareth in Galilee was also a message for the whole world of today. It's worth repeating. Imagine you're in the synagogue, packed out, packed to the rafters. The scroll is brought up to Jesus. It's of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus reads out in a loud, clear voice. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Therefore he has anointed me to give good news to the destitute. He sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This emphasis on the Holy Spirit is mentioned by Luke twice 
and it's further evidence of the special view Luke gives us of Jesus. Jesus worked with the power of the Holy Spirit, which in the second reading from Corinthians we see very important to the infant church. Paul describes how the Holy Spirit creates the body of Christ last week and this is the basis for the authority for the church to bring the good news to the poor and to set the downtrodden free. But without love, without that great gift, it's something less than what Jesus spoke about in Nazareth. When Luke finishes his gospel and goes on to describe for Theophilus again the Acts of the Apostles, he's at pains to emphasise how the same Holy Spirit guides and directs every move as a sign of love that has no boundaries. When Jesus includes the destitute, the blind, prisoners, the oppressed, what do you think of the people of Nazareth thought? What do the people of St. Helens think? Look at how the synagogue atmosphere changed. One moment they were astonished by the gracious words that came from Jesus, and the next time he spoke they were enraged. The people seemed to want some kind of proof as the murmurings began. Questions of doubt and opposition were whispered. Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus could always read the mood of a crowd and he knew he was expected to perform, to dance as Richard Rohr puts it. In fact, Richard Rohr suggests opposition was forming even as Jesus was reading, bring good news to the destitute. Oh, oh, where's he going with this? Liberty to those in prison? Is he against capital punishment? Do you recall a time when you have done this even as someone is speaking? I know I have. It does happen frequently for most of us and for me in particular. We can have a contrary opinion ready within seconds and are ready to defend it. Particularly if we can downgrade the other with some quick judgment. Hmm, she looks shifty. Huh, he's got mad eyes, etc. You know what I mean. Richard Rowe calls this dualistic thinking. Um, we're programmed to react this way by most of what we see on TV and the internet. It takes a real effort to stop judging and look for some 10% of truth in the other's viewpoint. When Jesus refused to back down and even implied that the Messiah, as described by Isaiah, would work for non-Jews the way Elijah and Elijah had done, that was one step too far. By the time the service had finished, these friends and neighbours of Jesus had rejected him and his manifesto and had handed him over to the crazed fundamentalists who felt it was the duty to stone him to death. Jesus didn't want people to welcome him with a false idea of who the Messiah was going to be. So he didn't give any indication that that was what he was. He even spent much of his time explaining this to his disciples. He taught them that he, in fact, would be the suffering servant of God. Luke is also trying to show that the true kingdom of God was meant for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. The whole world, in fact. He also wants his readers to choose to be for Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit ruling our lives today? Do we live in a cycle of repetition or are we excited to be in the now time of Jesus?
Was the power of the Holy Spirit only for the infant body of Christ? Is the urgency about the planet, peace and equality only to be seized by politicians? One thing for certain is that we are made for this moment, 2022, and we have to look to today to find the presence of God in all those who seek what is necessary to carry out the manifesto described by Luke for his friend Theophilus 2,000 years ago. Lord, please come to me in spiritual communion. Send your body and blood gushing through my veins. Send your love into my heart, my soul, my mind. Lift me up to your bosom and infuse me with your divine love. Amen. For a few minutes now, let's practice our centering plural. In the silence, keep your mind focused on one phrase. Be with me, Holy Spirit. Maharanatha. If any other thoughts enter in, don't be annoyed. Just leave them alone and return to your phrase. This is your invitation to God's will and permission for the Holy Spirit to be close to you today. There is a two minute interval with bells to mark the beginning and end. You can pause the podcast if you want to extend this for more time. 